You're listening to a sermon from Iron City Church. For unity, for diversity, for the city, and for the glory of God. How do you know someone can be trusted? They should be listened to. How do you know someone isn't just full of it, but can come through for you? Normally, I just try to have my sermons have one big point, but tonight we've got two points. Give you two reasons that I believe Jesus can be trusted. The first reason, I think we find here in Luke chapter five, five that Jesus can be trusted is because Jesus is compassionate and clean. Jesus can be trusted because Jesus is compassionate and clean. Last time we were in Luke, we saw Jesus calls, Jesus calling his first disciples in this gospel. But today in our text, we see that Jesus cleanses. We got two accounts of Jesus' healing ministry and the purpose of it. But we'll begin in verse 12, what Pastor Dustin just read for us. Let's look at that again together. While he, while Jesus was in one of the cities, there came a man full of leprosy. And when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and begged him, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. So the scenes open with Jesus in a city. And again, a man that said to be full of leprosy, coming and falling on his face at Jesus' feet and pleading with Jesus to cleanse him, to make him clean. Luke's readers in the first century would have been shocked when they read of this scene. Verse 12 is not the way things were supposed to go. According to Leviticus 13, according to the law of Moses, Jews, if they had leprosy, were not supposed to be in this place. Actually, if someone who had leprosy, according to Leviticus 13, saw someone else coming and getting too close to them, they were to cover up the top of their, mat, their lip and to yell, unclean, unclean to make sure no one got close enough to be contaminated by them. People have described having leprosy like a living death, open sores all over your body, constant pain and aggravation, but it wasn't just physical pain, it was emotional pain. Again, the law required Jews who had leprosy to live in quarantine, I know that Word quarantine, something we've all come to dread over the last couple years. But this quarantine didn't just last a couple weeks. This is something that lasted as long as you had leprosy, which was normally for the rest of your life. You couldn't live at home with your family. You couldn't even hug a member of your family. You either lived by yourself out in a cave out in the middle of nowhere, or you lived in what was called a leper colony with other lepers. You couldn't worship the people of God, couldn't go to the synagogue, couldn't get close to the temple. You're cut off from everything and everyone that you loved. So again, connecting the dots here with verse 12, that says, while, he was, while Jesus was in one of the cities, there came a man full of leprosy. This man was not supposed to be here. This man was not supposed to be in any city. But apparently this man had heard about Jesus. It knows that Jesus of Nazareth is his only hope. 
Once again, Luke is showing for us how outcasts often see their need for Jesus more clearly than others. This man is desperate and his desperation drives him to Jesus' feet. The end of verse 12 says, and when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and begged him, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. This man knows that only if Jesus is willing, Jesus could cleanse him. He knows his only hope of cleansing is Jesus. One of my favorite hymns is Rock of Ages. And my favorite line in that hymn is, foul I to the fountain fly, wash me savior or I die. And the reason why I love that line is because the desperation of it. I love the desperation of this leper here. This man isn't just someone to be pitied by us, but this man is a model of faith for us. We know from the scriptures that saving faith only comes out of a posture of desperation, knowing that Jesus is your only hope in life and death, knowing that Jesus is the only one that can cleanse you in the way that we all so desperately need because of our sin. But the problem with many of us in this world is that we're not like this man with leprosy. We don't see our need. We are dying inwardly of something more deadly and dangerous than leprosy, yet we completely ignore it. In our pride, we think ourselves to be perfectly fine without the cleansing touch of Jesus. But look at Jesus' response in verse 13. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. I said last time in Luke, when Jesus was calling his first disciples, he had already called Peter. And if Peter, Simon Peter is with Jesus as he went up to the tax booth to call Levi, Peter probably wanted to put his hand over Jesus' mouth and tell him, are you sure you really wanna call a tax collector? I imagine here, if Peter's with Jesus, as Jesus is reaching out his hand to touch this leper, Peter wants to tackle Jesus at this point. It's obvious from the gospels that Jesus could just speak a word and heal, but that's not what Jesus does here. Jesus intentionally chooses to touch this unclean man, this man who probably had not been touched in years. But when Jesus touches the untouchable, it's what he loves to do. Loves to welcome the outcast, to touch those with his healing touch that no one else will come close to. Again, according to the law, if you touch someone who had leprosy, you yourself would be considered unclean. But when Jesus touches this man, and even though people would have thought Jesus would become unclean, Jesus does not become unclean. Jesus is so clean that he doesn't become unclean when he touches those who are unclean. But Jesus is so clean that when he touches those who are unclean, they become clean. 
Jesus is so clean that contamination did not flow in, but cleansing flowed out of him. Jesus shows compassion on this man and cleanses him. Jesus' pity upon him, his compassion leads to a display of Jesus' power. As the old hymn says, Jesus ready stands to save you, full of pity joined with power. Jesus touches this man and cleanses him. Provides the cleansing for this man that the law requires, but the law can never produce. It's the same with our sin. The law requires complete obedience to it, but the law can't produce that within us. Only Jesus can meet all the demands of the law. Only Jesus can do all that God has required and grant that cleansing power to us. This man would, again, have been considered an untouchable in his day. Who are the untouchables in our day? Who are those people we don't feel like we can get near? A few years ago, I had a man who got connected to our church family who was experiencing homelessness stay with us. I remember finding out that he had HIV, and it freaked me out made me wanna run as far as I could. But as I got to know this man, it became very obvious that because of his condition that he was in, he was all the more knowledgeable of his need for Jesus. He was desperate for what only Jesus could offer. I'll let you fill in the blank of who you feel like the untouchables are in our day. But I think Jesus would have us take the good news of his gospel message to those very people. Because unlike your proud friends, these untouchables probably already know that they need a cleansing touch that they can't offer themselves. They just need to be introduced to the only one who can truly cleanse them. And look at what Jesus tells this man he just cleansed. In verse 14, and he, Jesus, charged him to tell no one, but to go and show yourself to the priests and make an offering for your cleansing as Moses commanded for a proof to them. So Jesus cleanses this man on the spot, but he tells this man to still obey what's in the law, still obey what's written out in Leviticus 14, to go show himself to the priest, to go through the paperwork, if you will, for him to be restored to his family and back to his life. But Jesus also says something strange here, something that would be almost impossible for this man to obey, but something that Jesus often tells people in the gospels. Jesus often does miraculous things for people, revealing his power and glory to them, but then he tells them, hey, don't tell anybody about this. This is what New Testament scholars call the messianic secret. He tell them, don't tell anybody, my time's not yet come. But it most often didn't work. People normally couldn't shut up about what Jesus has done for them. And they go and tell everybody anyway. And that's what happens here. Look at verse 15. But now even more, the report about him went abroad. 
and great crowds gather to hear him and be healed of their infirmities. But how does Jesus respond to all this public attention and praise? Look at verse 16. But he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. Jesus would withdraw to desolate places and pray. I'm not gonna spend a lot of time at this point. Uh, Pastor Demetrius preached a great sermon on Halloween Reformation Day a few weeks ago from Luke 4, where Luke also records Jesus withdrawing to desolate places and praying. Luke is intentional to record this throughout his gospel, that Jesus did this often. So go back and listen to that sermon if you hadn't. Be encouraged, edified as we all were who heard it. But one thing I want to ask before moving on I think it's important for us to consider is again, doesn't it feel great when we're esteemed by others? Doesn't it feel great to be praised for people to see you as powerful? And Jesus is God, but Jesus really became a man. Jesus knew the draw and danger of people's praise, partly because he knew how fickle the hearts of sinful people are. Remember in Luke 4, people go from praising Jesus to want to throw him off a cliff. We'll see later in Luke's gospel, people go from wanting to make Jesus their king to wanting to crucify him. But it seems when Jesus felt the drawl of the crowd, of the praise of man, Jesus was especially careful to get away from people, to go into desolate places, to meet with his father, to pray in the spirit there. And again, I think we need to consider if Jesus, who did not have a sinful nature like us, had to get away, again, not to be caught up and become drunk on the praise of others, how much more do we? Again, we don't just need to get away and pray and fast when things are going poorly in our lives, when we're aware of our desperate condition. We maybe all the more need to do it when things are going really well when we're tempted, again, to get caught up in people's praise and to forget the glory belongs to God alone. So the first reason why Jesus is to be trusted is because Jesus is compassionate and clean. He is the clean one. But let's look at the second account here in Luke 5 to find the second reason why Jesus is to be trusted. Look at verse 17. On one of those days, as he was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was with him to heal. And behold, some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed, and they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus. But finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and let him down with his bed through the tiles in the midst before Jesus." So there's a rule that we have in the pew home we try hard to abide by is that we try not to get upset when our kids accidentally spill or break something. And this rule gets tested a lot with our four kids at home. Actually, it was tested hard today. A kid was taking off their shoe, kicked it off, and broke one of our windows today. Which is, again, these rules we have get tested really really hard sometimes. But it's hard to not get upset when someone breaks your stuff, even if it's an accident, because it's costly, right? 
But here, what we have in Luke 5 is people messing up somebody's house, not on accident. These dudes are intentionally messing up this guy's house. They're going to his roof. They're tearing tiles off his roof, big enough for a grown man to be let down from. And that's what they do. These men tear a hole in this roof. They let their friend down. They lower him down in front of Jesus. But Jesus' response probably threw them off. Look at verse 20. And when he, when Jesus saw their faith, he said, man, your sins are forgiven. I think it's pretty obvious these friends were not bringing this man to Jesus to have his sins forgiven, right? They were bringing this man to Jesus because he had a physical problem that they wanted their friend to be healed from. But Jesus, our Messiah, the God-man, he always sees our deepest needs. This is one of the reasons why he often answers our prayers differently than how we ask them. Because he knows what we really need more than we do. Jesus is clear in the gospels that it's better to lose a limb, it's better to lose an eye, and to have your sins forgiven to inherit the kingdom of God than it is to be fully healthy your entire life before you die, to inherit all the world and yet lose your soul in the end. Jesus here, it's clear, isn't just responding to the faith of this paralyzed man, but he saw their faith, the faith of his friends. And we all need friends to bear our burdens with us, don't we? This is how we fulfill the law of Christ. He sees their faith. He doesn't see the mess that they've created, but he sees their faith. And he honors their faith by offering forgiveness, pronouncing forgiveness upon this man laying before him. When Jesus does that, when he pronounces forgiveness of sins upon this man laying paralyzed before him, the Pharisees flip out. Look at verse 21. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to question saying, who is this who speaks blasphemies? They may be tearing their clothes at this point. Who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? I know we skipped ahead a couple weeks ago to look at these two scenes of Jesus calling his first disciples with Simon, Peter, and Levi. And the Pharisees get upset there. But here is actually the first account of the Pharisees opposing Jesus in Luke's gospel, the first of many, this opposition that would ultimately lead to Jesus' crucifixion. But let's maybe stop here for a second and go down a side street together. Remember that Jesus is God. Jesus has the power to heal at any time in any way that he desires. But Jesus often in the gospel chooses to heal in ways that expose the idols of people's hearts, expose that they are trusting in the wrong things. An example of this, as you read through the gospels, is again that Jesus could heal on any day of the week he desires, but he often in the gospel chooses to heal on the Sabbath. Why? He does this to expose the hearts and false religion of the Pharisees. These very people are getting upset here, showing that they're trusting in themselves and their performance. 
I was out sick, as many of you know, that were here last week. Thankful for my brother Isaac stepping in, always warmed up in the bullpen for us. But as I was out sick, one of the things I like to do when I'm sick, when I'm laid out, that I don't have time to do often, but I do love doing, is watch a documentary. So a documentary I watched last week was on Bob Dylan. Been a fan of Bob Dylan since early high school. He's a fascinating cat, if you don't know Bob Dylan. Bob Dylan was a singer-songwriter who really came to fame during the civil rights movement. He wrote all kinds of songs that were considered protest songs with his acoustic guitar and harmonica. But in 1965, Bob Dylan decided to go electric. He completely changed his sound. And there is all kinds of videos of people hearing Dylan go electric for the first time. And there's boos, there's mocking, there's jeers. There's one video of someone calling out clearly Judas, saying that Dylan has betrayed them. Then as soon as Dylan hears himself called Judas and hears all these boos, he turns around to his band and says, play it loud. With an adjective there, I can't say in the pulpit. Dylan, again, got these boos, got this dramatic response because people came expecting one thing, but Dylan wasn't a guy who was coming around to fulfill people's expectations. He often intentionally did things in order to stir people up. Jesus also didn't come to meet people's expectations. But this isn't because Jesus was a rebel, but actually he did it to expose people's rebellion against God, especially religious people. He intentionally did things to shake things up, to expose the idols of people's hearts, to show again, especially the Pharisees, that they were trusting in the wrong things. They were trusting in themselves and their ability to keep the Sabbath and were missing the most important thing, the Lord of the Sabbath, Jesus himself. Here, the Pharisees' first question shows their hardness of heart and that they're completely missing who Jesus is when they ask, who is this who speaks blasphemies? But their second question actually hits the bullseye. It's actually the right question. Who can forgive sins but God alone, they ask. But look at Jesus' response in verse 22. When Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered them, why do you question in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven you, or to say, rise and walk, but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And immediately he rose up before them and picked up what he had been laying on and went home glorifying God. Notice here, Jesus doesn't contradict their conclusion that forgiving sins was to be ultimately done by God alone. But he does, with his action, contradict their conclusion that he in any way had committed blasphemy. Again, the Pharisees got something right here that ultimately only God can forgive sins. But you may ask, well, doesn't the scriptures call us to forgive people's sins as well? The answer to that is yes. And let's actually explore that for a minute. The Bible tells us that we are to forgive the sins of those who have sinned against us. 
But if someone came up to you tonight after the service, sat out there in the steps and punched you in the face, if I saw that, I couldn't walk up to the person who had punched you in the face and say, I forgive you. Why? Because they didn't sin against me, right? They sinned against you. You can only forgive someone who sinned against you. But Jesus, the God-man, in his earthly life and ministry, he's walking around ministering to people. And often the first time he meets them, he forgives them for their sins. How can he do that? Again, because he is God. Every sin that you and I and everyone else has ever committed is against him, is an offense against him, because he is God. So again, Jesus is able to meet someone the first time and offer forgiveness to people because all their sin has been against him. But Jesus also has the power and authority to fully and eternally forgive because again, he is God. And it's that kind of forgiveness, this full and eternal authority to forgive sins that alone belongs to God is what the Pharisees are asking about here and what Jesus is affirming about himself. According to Jesus' point, it's easy just to say stuff, right? But back to the original question we asked tonight, how do you know someone can be trusted? How do you know someone can come through for you? Well, the second point of why Jesus can be trusted is that Jesus can be trusted because his actions back up his words. You can trust Jesus today because his actions back up his words. In the Gospels, Jesus' miracles serve to validate his claims. Jesus proclaiming things, he's preaching, proclaiming the good news of his kingdom that's coming. But Jesus bringing his receipts with him as he's going around healing people, showing that he has the authority to say the things that he's saying. He has the power of God working in him and through him. Jesus' miracles validate his claims. We also see this with the apostles in the book of Acts. They're proclaiming the good news of Jesus and they're healing people, again, to validate the truthfulness of their message. And we still see this today. I was able to talk with Daniel Howell, someone who's a UAB college student, graduated from here, we sent out to be a missionary. And Dustin mentioned this a couple weeks ago, that Daniel, his team there, they were able to see someone physically healed and immediately come to trust in Jesus, to see the power of Jesus. They were healed in Jesus' name and immediately came to believe in Jesus just a few weeks ago. Jesus is God. Jesus can, again, choose to heal in miraculous ways anytime he chooses. But it seems from the scriptures, I think it seems from church history as well that he most often chooses to work in healing in miraculous ways in places where the gospel is going forth in new territory and places so that the message of this gospel may be validated. But the point here with Jesus saying to the Pharisees is that I know you can't see sins being forgiven, but you can see when I tell this paralyzed dude to get up, to pick up his bed and walk. 
He's saying, so that you know that I have the actual power and authority to forgive sins, that my word is true, Jesus shows and demonstrates that power and authority by pronouncing healing upon this man, telling him to pick up his bed. And it's exactly what the man does. Picks up his bed, rejoices, glorifies God. Jesus here is making his opponents deal with who he really is. Either Jesus really is God and is able to forgive sins or he is committing blasphemy. It's obvious, again, from the stakes here of what's even Jesus is being questioned about. Jesus can't just be a good teacher with a lot of power. Jesus clearly saying that he has the power that God alone has, and that's to forgive sins. As many of you are probably familiar with, C.S. Lewis's old framework. Again, Jesus is either a liar, he's a lunatic, he's crazy, or he actually is Lord and who he is, he is who he says he is. He's either deity, he is God, or he's a deceiver. Jesus demonstrating his power and again, clearly claiming to be God here by pronouncing forgiveness, by showing his authority. Often we can keep people or things that make us uncomfortable at a distance, to ignore them, to act like they're not there, But Jesus here is making sure that his opponents can't ignore him any longer. And here, as you are hearing this word proclaiming tonight, Jesus is making it clear that you can't ignore him any longer either. Which again brings us back to, I think the all important question we're considering tonight is how do you know someone's telling you the truth? How do you know someone can be trusted? I think we would say in every area of life, people prove themselves to be trustworthy, right? Their actions back up their words. And that's what we see here with Jesus in this account before us. But what if Jesus doesn't answer your prayers for physical healing? What if Jesus doesn't show you his power and prove his power to you here and now? As Dustin mentioned earlier, preached Sawyer's funeral yesterday. It was just a couple weeks ago, we took our elders and our staff to that hospice room and anointed Sawyer with oil and pleaded with the Lord to heal our brother, to remove the cancer from his body. And the Lord didn't answer that prayer in the way that we prayed it, right? So how do we think about that? Can Jesus still be trusted? Well, first, I wanna say with full confidence on the authority of the scriptures that Sawyer is doing better today than he's ever done in his entire life. He is fully and completely healed. Cancer will never hurt him again. I think it's good for us to remember that, again, this man who had leprosy, this man who was paralyzed, these people that Jesus healed, even people Jesus raised from the dead, they died again. We all die in this cursed world that's filled with death because of sin. But the promise of Jesus is for ultimate healing, eternal life, our promise to all who turn from their sin, who all who turn to Jesus as their only hope of salvation, 
This is an offer to all of us. But again, if you don't see Jesus' healing power in this life, how do you know that you can trust his power to forgive you of your sins and grant you eternal life? Before answering that question, let me ask a deeper question. I think even deeper than our desire for physical healing when we're sick, we all have a deeper desire to be loved. I think the question that we all ask when we come to see that this world around us, even though it has brokenness, it has beauty in it, and there's order and complexity and design, and we see that there is a God behind all this, we wanna ask the question, does he care about me? Does this God love me? The Apostle Paul says in Romans 5, 8, that God demonstrated his love for us and that while we were sinners, while we were yet his enemies, Christ died for us. The Apostle John says in 1 John 4, 10, and this is love, not that you love God, but he loved us and gave his son as a propitiation, as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Jesus says in John 15, greater love has no one than this, that someone would lay down his life for his friends. And Jesus says, you are my friends. Those who believe in Jesus are his friends. Those who follow him are his friends. And Jesus laid down his life for us. God has demonstrated his eternal perfect love for us. Jesus tells us the same perfect love that the father shares for the son, we now have those of us who believe and trust in Jesus. He has shown us that love ultimately in the cross of Christ. So many promises in the scriptures are promises beyond this life. So how do you know these promises will come true? How do you know when you're sick and dying that you will ultimately be healed in eternity? Again, even more importantly, how do I know that my sins will be forgiven on the day that I die and have to look my maker in the eye? The answers the scriptures give us is because Jesus has defeated death. He's defeated death through his resurrection. This means as surely as Jesus was raised from the dead, all of his people will be raised from the dead and receive glorified, perfected bodies. There's no more possibility of sickness. We will live with him in his kingdom forever. This means all of his promises are true. Jesus has shown us, demonstrated his power over death and the devil, over all that can harm us through his resurrection. And because of our sin, we all need a cleansing that only Jesus, the clean and compassionate one, that only he can give. We all need to be spiritually healed in ways that only Jesus can provide. As we look at Luke 5, faith in both of these accounts is expressed in desperation to get to Jesus, knowing that he alone can provide this kind of healing and cleansing that we all need spiritually. In this text, like the Pharisees, you're not allowed to ignore who Jesus is any longer. You must deal with him you must answer the question, who is Jesus and can he be trusted? Can he be eternally trusted? 
hear me, brothers and sisters, I'm willing to bet my life upon that truth, that Jesus can be trusted. As confident as I am about anything else in this life is that Jesus of Nazareth can be trusted with your life, that he is our hope in life and death. One of the reasons why we respond every week by coming to the Lord's table is that we get to hold in our hands this bread and this cup and remember that God's promises to us are as real as what we're holding in our hands. We remember that Jesus, the God-man, came to save us, that he was born to die. He was born, as the angel tells Mary, so that his people may be saved from their sins. He shall be called Jesus, and he will save his people from their sins. And he did that on a cross. Jesus' body was broken to the point of death so that he might offer you eternal life. That's what we remember as we come and we receive this broken piece of bread. We come and receive the cup. We remember that Jesus' blood was shed so that we might be cleansed. Again, not just a physical leprosy, but of something such more deadly and dangerous, of our sin, of our sin against the God of the universe, our sin that deserves death. Jesus come to cleanse us from all of it so that we might be washed clean. It might be received in Jesus as being perfectly righteous. We remember the promise of the scriptures that if we're faithful to confess our sins, then our God is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We take the cup and we drink of it, remembering that Jesus drank damnation dry. He drank all the judgment that we deserve upon the cross, all the bitterness of it so that we might taste the sweetness of his grace. This is the good news of the gospel that's offered to all of us tonight. For all who would turn and trust that you can be fully forgiven no matter who you are and what you've done. You can be cleansed and welcomed in to Jesus' family. Be given the hope of eternal life. A hope that cannot be taken away with you in death. So as we respond to this word by coming to the Lord's table, we'd love for you to take whatever time you need to confess your sins to the Lord, again, knowing his promises are true, to remember what Jesus has done for you and then come to rejoice with us. If you're not actively turning from your sin and trusting in Jesus, would ask that you not come to this table, but would love for you to come to us. We'd love to talk to you about, is Jesus worth following? Is he someone, again, that you can trust your life upon? I'll be around after the service. Dustin, some of our other pastors will be. And you just talk to someone that you know that knows Jesus. And they would love to have that conversation with you so you can have hope. You can find Jesus trustworthy as we have. Would you pray with me? The Lord give us grace to respond to his word in faith. Father, as... We, your people, come to Jesus' table. We ask that you would grant us 
a deeper repentance, a deeper faith, a deeper desire to turn from our sin and trust in Jesus, knowing that he is eternally trustworthy. Father, I pray for those who have not yet been cleansed from their sins, who have not yet trusted in Jesus, that you would grant them faith to look away from themselves, their desire to save themselves, to look away from their sin, knowing it can never satisfy them, and to look to Jesus, the only one that can cleanse and save and satisfy. Pray you would grant that work. Do that work by the power of your spirit tonight. Father, we thank you that Jesus is trustworthy. We believe, we pray you would help our unbelief. We ask you to do this work in us by your grace and for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.